welcome to the Cake Adjacent Podcast, a once-a-week update on all things food, family, community, gardening, whatever. We call it Sidecar. If it has to do with the rituals around food and holidays, making food or taking it places, or remembering what we were eating during important times in our lives, we'll talk about it here. I am your host and bestie, Jen Coleslaw, coming to you from the soulless suburbs of Northern Virginia. I'm so sorry that I missed recording last weekend. I have just been out of spoons, and I think that recording the pod after Thanksgiving and dropping it in the middle of the week got me a little out of my routine. Anyway, I'm here now, and that's what counts, right? Right. If you hear a little jingle, it's Sister Helen. She just joined me. Anywho, I hope that folks are doing okay on the run-up to the holidays. Even though it seems like things are getting back to normal with holiday markets and work parties and people making plans, things are still not 100% right. So it's okay if you're not 100% comfortable just forgetting the traumas of the last few years and going back to the way things used to be. One of my most favorite pieces of advice to give, but is almost impossible for me to follow which I think is becoming painfully obvious, is that you cannot dictate other people's behavior or how they will deal with something. You can only control how you will react to it. It's like saying, don't set yourself on fire to keep somebody else warm. Now that's great advice, and I really believe it when I counsel others, but I readily admit that I have a hard time living it. I wither under the steely gaze of disappointment, and everyone in my family knows it. Anyway, I struggle with that over the holidays, and it seems to get worse every year as parents get older and forget conveniently or not how difficult travel can be, especially in this region, how hard it is to pack up the car twice, how big of a pain in the ass it is to make sure there's someone available to take care of the house and the cats, the difficulty in making sure that we have the time off. And for me, that means working from wherever we are because I seriously do not get standard time off. It's not like someone else can run payroll or respond to urgent issues while I'm off. I'm it, and frankly, people who don't have a job like mine do not understand why I can't just be off for a week at a time and not ever think about work. And so every year, the holidays just become more stressful because it becomes less likely that there's respect for our situation, whether it's spending a week in urgent care getting IV antibiotics for an infection, being diagnosed with cancer, managing fragile dogs, getting ready for surgery, being concerned that relatives aren't careful about COVID, and it just takes up so much real estate in my head and my heart that it's almost impossible to do anything else. I can't even tell you when it was the last time that I made Christmas cookies, which is easily one of my most favorite things ever to do for the holidays. Instead, I spent from Thanksgiving to New Year's just being upset and anxious trying to please everyone and failing spectacularly, and I hate it. So the advice that I give others that you can't set yourself on fire to keep others warm, I have such a hard time taking it, and I hope that you are better at it than I am. But that's not what I want to talk about today. Today, I wanted to give you some gift ideas. I am very good at gift ideas. The one thing I am on top of with just a few small things is holiday shopping. I am ready to start wrapping and packing stuff up for all of the places we need to go between Christmas and New Year's. 
So I'm going to pass on a few ideas to you. If you have a friend or a family member who's into baking, cooking, kitchen stuff, or into gardening and outdoor stuff, here are a few of my top gifts. A new apron. You honestly can never have enough aprons in my book. Well, maybe you can, but I do love all of my aprons, and I have two hooks that I hang them all on on my pantry doors, and I wear different aprons for different things. My favorite ones are from Headley and Bennett. They're not cheap, but they're professional restaurant-grade aprons that wear like iron, so they really are like a special gift apron. They have a ton of colors and configurations and lots of pockets, and you can even get your person's name or initials embroidered on them, up to 10 characters. And as of the recording of this podcast, they're running a sale where you can buy one and get one for 50% off. They do some fun collaborations like with Rifle Paper Company and Sesame Street, and they also offer kid size aprons as well. I am also a fan of those Japanese style cross back linen aprons, which you can get for $19.99 at Trader Joe's if you look for them. I have found them in a few places in the store, most recently, which was this week. They were literally with the baking stuff, but I've also found them with holiday decor and in the health and beauty aisle stuff, health and beauty stuff aisle. Uh, what I like about those aprons is how light they are. They are perfect for warm weather kitchen work. They have giant pockets too. Do not ever buy an apron that does not have pockets. Gift cards from Penzi Spices, King Arthur Flower, and my favorite cooking supply store, Sur La Tabla, are also very good gifts if you're not sure what to get, but your person is a serious foodie so that they can pick out something that they would like. While I think that knives are a great gift, there's a catch here because there's an old superstition about giving knives as a gift, especially to a close friend or a family member, which is that if you give a knife, it will, quote, sever the relationship, unquote. So to get around that, you tape a coin to the blade and then gift the knife. Your person then gives the coin back to you after they open the gift, thus buying the knife, and then you're square. If you do give a knife, especially to someone who is just starting their cooking journey, make sure you give them a knife sharpener too. I am a big fan of the six inch chef knife that is actually more heavy than light. I am not a fan of serrated knives except for bread knives. They are hard to sharpen. In fact, they're sort of impossible to sharpen except by a professional. So get a knife that can be sharpened. I absolutely have knives that are more than 30 years old, probably 40 years old, that can sharpen right up. I'm sure that I have knives from when I was in college. If your person has a Cuisinart food processor or a KitchenAid stand mixer, getting attachments for them is always a good gift. Our favorite attachment is probably the spiralizer, which helps, helps us peel pounds of apples quite quickly. Other excellent attachments is the bread proofing bowl, if they are into bread, or the pasta attachment. We have also used the meat grinding attachment and the sausage stuffer attachment. I think we actually have all of the attachments for our KitchenAid. The key to good gift giving is that you don't want it to be a burden to someone. If your person has super limited counter space or a really tiny galley kitchen, then you don't want to overwhelm them with some big appliance that they might not use. So another good gift is a pot rack. We have way too many things in our kitchen, and the pot rack holds all of our small pots and pans right over our sink, leaving room in the cabinets for much bigger pots and pans. 
Also good for small spaces is a magnetic knife rack. We have two, one for the big chef's knives and one for paring knives and shears. It keeps them all at arm's length and never in a drawer where you can cut yourself or where I can cut myself when I reach in and never in a knife block, which honestly takes up counter space and dulls your knife every time you shove it into the block. Now, if your person is trying to be more sustainable and does a lot of meal planning and maybe takes their lunch to work every day, uh, you can get them a really nice set of non-plastic food storage containers like a Pyrex glass set or anything that can go from freezer to the oven or microwave. Note here that most of these have hard food safe or silicone plastic lids that don't go in the oven but can go into the freezer quite easily. Little Enviro tip here. You really want to try to avoid all plastic containers because plastic heats up and cools off and it can break down. And there are some studies that suggest that in that process, plastics leach out some dangerous chemicals into your food and can act as endocrine disruptors, which is especially bad for developing brains and bodies of kids as well as elders. This is one of the main reasons in my job job, I counsel people not to carry around a case of bottled water in their car to their kids' sports games, because as that thin plastic breaks down from heat and cold and sunlight in that process of being in your car for three weeks, it ends up in the water that you all drink. Get the kids water bottles and use a big 10-gallon cooler of water instead that you take out of the car and rinse out every time. So on top of single-use water bottles being an environmental nightmare, there are indications that there can be health issues there as well. So if alternatives like glass, metal, or ceramic exist, those should be your default and plastic should be your in-case-of-emergency container. My best advice for food storage containers is to buy all the same size so that all the lids fit all the bottoms, or just get two sizes to keep from having a lot of tops and bottoms that you have trouble matching, which I guarantee is frustrating. And the really tiny sizes don't even bother buying because they're useless. No one needs four or six tiny containers that hold like two grapes. Finally, there are a few new cookbooks out that I'm hot on and a few old cookbook series that are always good. And I have said here before that I am a fan of real cookbooks and real cooking websites like Cooks Illustrated, Bake From Scratch, Southern Living, um, and Martha Stewart, because those are real recipes that are tried and true and vetted by real chefs. I'm not a fan of some sweet blogger with some really pretty pictures who has recipes uh, because I don't want to spend $20 plus three hours on ingredients and time just to find that it's a terrible recipe. So I love all the Mark Bittman books, like How to Cook Everything series. I love all the America's Test Kitchen series. And for new cooks, absolutely must have The Joy of Cooking and the Better Homes and Garden Cookbooks. And if you have a choice of regular binding or like a ring binding, always pick the uh, ring binding because it stays open flat so you can read it. And if this is a special book for a special person, like for your child or your grandchild or your niece or nephew, and that they're just going out on their own and this is going to be one of their very first cookbooks, don't forget to write something sweet in it. For new cookbooks, I am totally hot on the King Arthur Baking School book, which just came out in October, the Cookie Bible by Rose Levy Berenbaum, and the um, Baking with Dory by Dory Greenspan. Um, these are all on my personal wish list this year. 
Okay, moving to outside. For your gardener and outdoor friends, you can never go wrong with hand tools. Honestly, there is no such thing as too many hand tools. I mean, some people would say that there is, but I say they're like aprons to me. I, there's no such, you can always have more. Um, especially really nice ones. Um, trowels come in different sizes. I probably have at least 12 and every single one of them is a different shape and size and blade. And they all have different purposes, whether it's a transplanting trowel or it's a, um, uh, a dredging trowel. The best ones, in my opinion, have wooden handles with a little hole at the end with a teeny bit of rawhide knot so that you can hang it up. Cultivators and handheld weeders or garden knives, but remember, tape a coin to it, are also a very good call. My absolute favorite hand tools are made in Bozeman, Montana by Fisher Blacksmithing. I have one beautiful flat trowel gifted to me by my friend Susan and it is absolutely a work of art. And it's absolutely functional. Other good outside gifts are a really good galvanized steel watering can with a sprinkle spout that you can screw on and off because sometimes you do not want to sprinkle. The painted ones are so pretty and I love them, but the galvanized ones will last longer. A noodle head sprinkler, which is my favorite of all of the sprinklers, especially for small spaces, or a new watering wand for the end of your hose, a set of colorful tomato cages, either the round ones or the flat ones that look like fencing. Those are actually my favorites. Uh, you can turn, make them into a triangle so it's like a tomato cage or they can, you can make them into like a pea fence. A potting bench. I have always wanted a potting bench and if you're at all handy with making simple wood stuff, this is a great gift. You can find plants for them all over the internet. Same with simple raised beds, which can be really expensive to buy, but are really pretty cheap to make, which makes them a great gift. And if you're looking for something to buy um, an elder gardener who maybe is having trouble like getting all the way down to the ground, a really raised bed so that they don't have to bend over is a great gift. So um, they can continue to garden, but they don't have to get all the way down on their knees to do it. Now, not everyone who's a gardener will agree with me on this, but I think that hand pruners, which are a pretty personal thing to a serious gardener, can also be a good gift. But unless I know that person really well, I won't get serious hand pruners though, like a pair of Felcos, which to me are the gold standard of hand pruners. But I will get a pair of Fisker snips, Fiskers uh, makes uh, all kinds of small hand cutting tools, scissors, like some of my favorite uh, fabric scissors are Fiskers. Um, but the snips are perfect for pinching herbs, for deadheading, and for small work. And you can always have a few of, of those in your tool bag because they get lost really easily. So I love having two or three sets of those because then there's always a pair somewhere. And finally, gloves. I will always love gardening gloves, whether they are cheap gloves or fancy gloves. Gloves are a great gift. I give them as a gift as well. My favorite ones are the women's Wells Lamont leather palms with neoprene that come in a bright color so they're easy to find when I lose them in the garden. I think losing things in the garden is a theme with me. Um, they fit really well and they can be washed uh, and then I usually, you can put them in the dryer, but I usually hand dry mine because I don't want them to get too small. I also like the ones I was raised up on by my dad, which are the Wells Lamont tan leather trucker gloves with the red ball pull tab that tightens around your wrist. 
Uh, friends who are into roses, get them the long-armed gloves that go all the way up to their elbow. Seriously, there will never not be a time when I won't be happy as a clam at high tide at getting a new trowel and some more gloves. And you can never go wrong with gift cards to some of our favorite garden stores, whether they are local to you and your people or mail order like Johnny Seeds, Pine Tree Garden Seeds. Those are two of my favorite seed companies. Um, and Gardener Supply Company, which, by the way, is a B Corps. It's owned by the employees. And so that's like a double gift when you buy from them because they do such good work in the community. They're located up in Vermont. And one more thing you can never get wrong, and that's the gift of your time. If you're a subject matter expert in the kitchen or the garden, more than once I have spent a spring day in a friend's new garden with 206-inch plant markers and a Sharpie identifying everything that was coming up in little hard-to-ID clumps, making a little map and explaining to them what would bloom when and how to care for it. For your inside friends, you can give them the gift of an updated pantry or spice rack. Go through and get things that are egregiously expired or missing and replace with fresh new spices and ingredients and explain what each spice or herb is good for. You could make a little gift certificate for your time that includes the gift of replacement items or perhaps a cooking lesson or bring over your knife sharpener and sharpen all their knives. Or you can send your toddler over to match all the Tupperware bottoms with the tops. Two birds, one stone. Okay, so that's my super short gift guide, but you know me, I am full of ideas, so if you need some help shopping or gifting for somebody, you just hit me up and I will help you out. You know you can find me at Twitter at Jen Coleslaw or Two Chalk Cakes, or you can email me at twochocolatecakes at gmail.com. If you're wondering what I'm asking for for Christmas, it would be candy, candy canes, candy corns, and syrup, plus whirly gigs, which are the non-winter version of inflatables. Now, let's see about this week's food holidays. Saturday, December 10th, is National Lager Day. What makes lager different from other beers is how it's fermented. Uh, lager yeast ferments from the bottom at cooler temperatures, and an ale, for example, ferments when the yeast gathers at the top and at warmer temperatures. When I drink beer, I enjoy lagers because they are not overly hoppy like IPAs, which I find way too bitter. And pale lagers are the most widely brewed type of beer in the world. Saturday the 11th is Noodle Ring Day, and I really believe this is a thing from a previous generation um, well before my time because I've only ever seen pictures of cold noodle mold in aspic or meat gelatin, and honestly, it's disgusting. It's also Holiday Food Drive for Needy Animals Day, so if your grocery store is like mine and has a box at the front of the store for bags of cat or dog food or cans of wet food, when you do your weekly shop, please consider picking up a few items for that big box. We are hearing that pet food pantries are at an all-time low for supplies. We want people who might be struggling this season to be able to keep their pets with them and not bring them to the shelter or put them outside. So let's make sure that when we are sending food to the people food pantries and the food banks in our communities, we're remembering their beloved pet friends too. Monday is National Cocoa Day, and I love me a good cup of hot cocoa. I am not someone who uses an envelope of cocoa mix in hot water, though. That is just criminal. I use unsweetened cocoa powder. Hershey's is what I usually have in the house, but I also have Penzi's and Trader Joe's. A tablespoon of sugar, a drop of vanilla, or I use vanilla sugar, and a cup of milk, and I heat it up all very slowly on the stove while stirring, and then I top with some whipped cream. 
I have been contemplating making hot chocolate bombs, and I bought all the tools and ingredients, and that may be the one thing I get done this year for the holidays. I keep thinking how much fun it would be to make those bombs with the cocoa mix, handmade cocoa mix, with a lint truffle inside. We'll see. I'm long on ideas and short on energy and time. I should have that tattooed on my forehead. It is also gingerbread decorating day. Maybe I can try to make some gingerbread cookies too. As you know, I collect cookie cutters. I love cookie cutters, which are best used on my gingerbread cookie recipe. And I probably have, no lie, 15 pounds of different kinds, colors, and sizes of sprinkles. Because they're made of sugar, you know, they don't go bad. You know what? I just need an extra month between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Or, hear me out, I just need to stop dealing with Thanksgiving, which I do not even care about anyway. If I start planning for holiday baking around Halloween, that would probably be the best plan. So, somebody remind me that I said this around Labor Day of next year, please. Thursday the 13th is Ice Cream and Violins Day, which after some research appears to be some kind of weird mistake having to do with a violinist who broke a world record for the number of notes played in a second, 14. That's, a, that's fast. But no one knows where the ice cream part comes from, so let's just call this a wild card day and you can celebrate however you want. I am not sure how I will celebrate. I have a meeting in the morning, and if it goes well, perhaps I will celebrate by doing something fun, and if it goes poorly, I will probably sulk for the rest of the day. Wednesday is National Bouillabaisse Day, which of course you know is a broth, and I just don't know how to celebrate that. And it is Roast Chestnut Day, and I love chestnuts, but they are so hard to open. And that was definitely my least favorite chore at Thanksgiving growing up shelling the chestnuts for stuffing after they came out of the oven. So now I love that you can get them already shelled and sealed up in packs at a decent grocery store. It's also Energy Conservation Day, so do the earth a solid and put on a sweater and some woolly socks today if you're working from home, and maybe take a shorter shower. It's December 9th when I'm recording this, and I can tell you that while this heat has snuck on a few times, we have not actually turned it on proper yet. Now, you know I'm not in a super cold climate in the DMV, but it is routinely in the upper 20s and low 30s in the overnights here, and the inflatables have been frosty most mornings. Thursday the 15th is International Tea Day, and I will tell you all my favorite teas. English breakfast. All right, I have a couple others. My favorite tea brand is either uh, is Yorkshire, either the gold or the red, and for herbal tea, I love lemon ginger or... Um, I like the plantation mint tea, and I even like some of those flavored black teas like ginger peach black tea or apricot black tea, but I do not like Earl Grey or any variation of Grey. And since I'm a tea drinker, people love to give me tea, but I don't love all kinds of teas. So please don't ever send me tea unless you think I'm going to like it because I like what I like. Thursday is also Lemon Cupcake Day, and get this. It's also National Cupcake Day. So that means with your tea of your choosing, you can have two cupcakes, a lemon one, and one of your choice. And it's payday. So clearly it's a very good day. And also, as I was writing this, I just checked my work calendar and I don't have any meetings scheduled yet. So maybe another opportunity to make a few cookies. I'm so optimistic, aren't I? And you know I will get nothing done. 
We're having a work holiday party on the following, following Monday. Oh, so if you're around, hit me up. I'll tell you where it is. And I would like to be able to give everyone a little bag of treats besides just a handful of the 75 pounds of lint balls I have here in my chocolate storage warehouse. Friday is National Chocolate Covered Anything Day, and I have a whole story about these delicious white chocolate covered brownies on a stick that I used to get at the Chestnut Hill Mall Dipper Store back in the day. And it's also National Reconciliation Day, which plays right into that story. And you'll hear all about it when I finally finish writing and recording the second season of Two Chocolate Cakes. What is your favorite chocolate covered thing? I like candy covered in chocolate, like peanut butter cups, malted milk balls, and peanut M&Ms. Saturday is National Maple Syrup Day, and as a longtime resident of New England, I can tell you I will never, ever, 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 ever put pancake syrup on my pancakes, waffles, or French toast. Real maple syrup or honey or just butter. But you know, climate change is making maple syrup trees, also known as sugar maples, less hardy, so remember to conserve energy on Energy Conservation Day. Saturday is also Saturnalia, which is an old Roman holiday to the god Saturn, who was a winter harvest god. And interestingly enough, it looks a lot like Christmas. Funny how Christians came along and suddenly these pagan holidays were usurped and absorbed, and now it's suddenly Jesus's birthday, despite historians being pretty sure that Jesus was born in the spring. But whatever, would not be the first time that organized religion lied about stuff to ensure that they have power over the people, huh? Anywho, Sunday is Bake Cookies Day, and I might be able to accommodate this holiday if I can get my shit together and make room on my kitchen counters and on my dining room table. Maybe say a prayer for me. And finally, Sunday evening is the first night of Hanukkah, and I hope each of the eight nights of Hanukkah are filled with light and miracles for your family and friends. Okay. That's it for the food holidays for this week, and I hope that the next few weeks for you are not stressful, that you're able to stand up for yourself if needed. If you need a pep talk, which I'm really good at doling out, but not really good at receiving, or if you need some more gift ideas for someone, you know where to find me. It's my love language, you know. A personal aside, I have a big doctor's appointment on this, my caniversary, caniversary week, so send some quality extra rabbit, rabbit, rabbits out into the universe for me. Please keep sharing the podcast with your friends at work when you're doing your court-ordered community service and at the Recycling Center so that I can move up in the rankings of podcasts and get invited onto other podcasts and get a sponsorship from the Apron Company. Remember that you can stay home for the holidays. You don't have to participate in things that make you sad just because it makes other people happy. And you absolutely don't have to buy Starbucks gift cards for holiday gifts for your dog walker or your kids' teachers unless you're into union busting. See you next week.